0: Hey, Rebels. Welcome to another edition of Rebel Parenting. I'm your host, Ryan Dobson, joined by the Atomic Mom, Laura. Man, do we have a great broadcast today. Kay. Woo. Right? Yes. I'm going to read a piece. I'm going to start with this. It's page 66 in the book called How to Raise Kind Kids by Thomas Lacona. The Paradoxical Commandments. This is written by Kent Keith. Number one, people are illogical, unreasonable, and self centered. Love them anyway. If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Do good anyway. If you are successful, you will f- win false friends and true enemies. Succeed anyway. The good you do today will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Honesty and frankness make you vulnerable. Be honest and frank. Anyway, the biggest men and women with the biggest ideas can be shot down by the smallest men and women with the smallest minds. Think big anyway. People favor underdogs, but follow only top dogs. Fight for a few underdogs anyway. What you spend years building may be destroyed overnight. Build anyway. People really need help, but may attack you if you do help them. Help people anyway. And finally, give the world the best you have and you'll get kicked in the teeth. Give the world your best anyway. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, you can start doing that. Reminds me of the poem by Rudyard Kipling, If, uh, at the end of it, it'll, you'll be a man um, or a woman. This is a fantastic book. Dr. Lacona, I'll tell you about him. A developmental psychologist, award-winning professor in education, founding director of the Center for the 4th and 5th R's at Cortland, what are those? Well, it's the three Hmm. R's, reading, writing, arithmetic. Ah. Fourth and fifth are respect and responsibility. He was a professor of childhood education for 40 years, and he writes a blog for Psychology Today called Raising Kind Kids. Tell you what, this is a fantastic book. It really does fit within the paradigm of the rebel parenting sphere. Uh, If you are into the Paul Tripp Parenting Book, if you're into the Self-Driven Child, Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Strixrud and... Ned Johnson, Johnson. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Kind Kids follows right in there. It is a great book. It um, lowers stress, gives your kids more control, helps you with faith and letting go. It really helps you raise kids to be adults. It's Mm -hmm. a fantastic book. It is. Right? Yep. Awesome. Man, I hope you enjoy this. Without any further ado, let's jump into How to Raise Kind Kids with Dr. Thomas Lacona, right here on Rebel Parenting. I am so excited about today's broadcast. (laughs) I've been reading this book, How to Raise Kind Kids, and I'll tell you what, something struck, it just stood out so starkly to me that I did a live video immediately on it, and I thought, we have definitely got to do a broadcast on this. So we have today, Dr. Thomas Lacona. He is a developmental psychologist, award-winning professor in education, founding director of the Center for the Fourth and Fifth R's at Cortland. And I love this because I was like fourth and fifth R's. My brain's like reading, writing, arithmetic. It's also respect and responsibility. Oh, I'm so excited about that one. Was a professor of childhood education for 40 years and writes a blog on psychologytoday.com called Raising Kind Kids. Doctor, thank you for being on the broadcast today. It's so exciting to have you on.
2: It's an honor to be here.
0: Um, can I start with this? Where did we go wrong? I feel like there yeah, was an era and a time where I felt like society and culture fostered good behavior, fostered kindness or moral responsibility or, you know, walking old ladies across the street, you know, the the Boy Scout, you know, that kind of a thing.
1: Or if there was a fight at school, there were kids that would jump in and break it up.
0: Exactly. Right. Not what happened? Either to where really we do need a new education on what does it mean to be kind and why are children not being kind? What's going on with so much anger and kind of meanness?
2: Well, that's a great question. I mean, it has definitely changed that parenting is a tougher job because we can't count on a cohesive culture that will support us in the kinds of positive values and virtues we want to transmit to our children. Mm -hmm. Used to be if your kid was doing something wrong, a neighbor was likely to correct them.
1: Oh, for Uh, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know know all those neighbors. Right. Right.
0: Doctor, I saw a neighbor spank another kid (laughs) in my street. I'm not going to say who it is. I'm not going to say it was the right or wrong thing to do. There's a kid that lived near me who was a a tad wild. And we had a neighbor with, is the first neighbor I ever knew that had a BMW and it was black (laughs) and it was sweet and he was driving past our house and near another house where this child lived. And that kid threw something at his car and I heard it hit. And I was like, oh no, I just couldn't even imagine. Brakes, wheels screeched. He jumped out, grabbed that kid by one arm, picked him up and just went, you know, just four or five, Thanks. set him down, got in his car and drove away. And we just It was just dead silence in the neighborhood. Yeah, Absolute yeah, yeah. dead silence. And his parents did not do anything. There was no lawsuit. There was no police call. There was no argument. It was, you did what? And that's all that happened? Praise but the Lord, he, he didn't do more right. to us. You know? Yeah,
2: I, yeah. I remember, you know, we've lived in the small city of Cortland, a city of about 17,000 people in central New York for the last, yeah. well, really since 1970s. So we were two years in Boston. And I remember when we were in Boston, there was a man uh, from Israel who wrote a letter to the Boston Globe. And he said he had been standing at a bus stop and as he arrived at the bus stop where there was a group of uh, children, uh, middle school age, and, and about 10 adults waiting for the bus, and some kids were throwing pebbles at passing cars, and mm-hmm. not a single adult was saying anything to these children. And so, the, you know, this gentleman from Israel got in the face of the kids who were doing this and said, you know, what are you doing? This is not—you know, dude, you could cause an accident. This is stopping me— and he said, so he wrote a letter to the Boston Globe, said he could not understand the passivity of the adults mm. standing there watching the children engage in this antisocial behavior and saying not a word. He said, in Israel, you know, adults would be immediately in the kids' faces and correcting them and so on. So there's definitely a, been a change in the sense of responsibility that we feel for other people's children, for everybody's children, for the common mm. good. Now, what brought that about? Well, the breakdown in the family is leading cause. As families... Started to disintegrate. Parents had less of a sense of their own moral authority. That tended to be an inhibitor of saying anything about anybody else's children because you didn't even discipline your own. Yes. Another thing that Doctor,
0: I, can, yeah, can you unpack ahead. that just a little bit? I'd love to know. So when the breakdown of the family happens, why is there a natural, um, I don't know if response or narrative leniency to where the leniency, the license, the I don't have a right to discipline, how can I say something why is that the natural path? I, well, I know it happens, but yeah. you're the doctor.
2: Well, it happens for multiple reasons. Um, for, one of the things that's changed in the talk, the standard kind of talk I give to parents about raising mm-hmm. kids of character, I used to have 10 ideas for what parents could do with their children. Now I start with a different idea, which is work on the marriage. Strengthen the marriage. If the marriage is your trouble, help. Because... The research shows absolutely clearly when, that the stronger the marriage the better the parenting there are problems in the marriage there are inevitably problems in the parenting why is that so first of all the stress in the marriage relationship carries over into the parent-child interactions if you just it sure had mm. you've just had a big fight with your spouse you're going to be more stressed in dealing with their children less effective in in doing that the other thing is that when when the, the parents are not united and any sort of a common mindset about how they want to raise their children, they end up undermining each other. Instead of saying, listen to your mother, listen to your father, uh, they, they say, you know, you do what you want or, you know, go ahead. It's all right with me. And they undercut each other's authority. So that, mm. that, that creates problems. And then you start to feel as a parent. Well, what's the point? Um, basically, the kids are out of control, and then the kids start getting a sense that, hey, you know, we're really—I uh,
1: got some power uh, here. We're in
2: know, charge. I got some power here, and I've had parents come up after a talk and say, you know, my kids say that if I, if I uh, even make a, you know, any any sort of intimidating move, uh, they're going to call nine one one and report me to to the authorities, and so you got all kinds of things falling apart, and then cohabitation starts to happen. Another thing. Uh, happens frequently, I'll have a father come up to me after a parent talk and say, i, I like to get more respect for, them, for the children. Uh, so I'll talk to him a little bit, and I'll find out he's not the real father. You know, mm-hmm. he's one of a series of men who have been in the home. No wonder he's not getting respect. The mother doesn't really respect him. and And so you have this kind of chaotic situation where the natural relationships that should exist between mother and father, husband and wife, parents and children, no longer do exist, and the authority that flows from those natural relationships starts to dissipate.
1: And that's like course, a worldwide you know, problem.
2: Yeah. It is, in fact. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. You see it happening all over the world. Now, uh, last Friday, actually, I'm, I'm, I think I sent you an email on this. I had a chance to speak at the United Nations Global Parents' Day. I didn't even know that such Absolutely. a thing existed. I know. Yeah, it's only three years old. And thank God they're doing it. They're celebrating the importance of parents importance of the whole society supporting the family. And that takes many different forms. First of all, it emphasizes the importance of parents, that parents are powerful if they exercise that influence. They can make a huge difference in the development of their children. And -hmm. second of all, parents need support. The rest of society has to value them and has Mm -hmm. to help them in different ways. The ambassador from Hungary actually opened the session and said that Hungary has moved in the last few years in a number of ways to try to provide real support for for parents, for example, you can now get up to a three year leave from your job when you have a child. You can complete your job. So wow. so high a value placed on the mother child bonding, on being there for the child in those first three years of life that mm-hmm. your job was waiting for you three years. Later.
0: You know that's interesting because this sounds. I'm I'm I love this. It also it's a bit. I would say paradoxical in a way because you've, it sounds very conservative ideas coming from the UN, which is a bit astounding to say how important the parent is and that the mom's role, a mother's role in the first three years of a child's life, that's a really conservative idea these days. You know, Now it would be, oh, it doesn't matter what uh, who takes care of a child and where are these Ideas coming from, and why now are they being accepted? This I'm, I'm a bit shocked by it, and I love that you're being able to do this.
2: Well, uh, the the event was co sponsored by by the Vatican, actually by the Holy See, and by a group called the United Federation for Peace. The UN hosted it, to its mm. credit. But the initiative came from you know two two organizations. Sure, sure, to shine a spotlight on the importance of the family, the importance of parents, and how mm-hmm. how. We have to try to communicate, for example, what is effective parenting, what we know from mm-hmm. research, what we know from common sense and ancient wisdom and so on, and also what society needs to do to really attach tremendous importance to parenting mm-hmm. and to mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. So the UN did host it. The initiative came from a couple of organizations, but, you know, praise God that it, it did happen. Um, There's a, a video of the whole thing, and it's going to be an ongoing celebration each year to call attention wow. to parents.
1: That's, oh, that's great. Fantastic. That's, fantastic. that's fantastic. I want to jump back, um, Dr. Thomas, to uh, look at and work on that. You said work on your marriage, that you're going back. You used to add 10 steps, you know, to help each family. But now you're just going back to, hey, let's work on your marriage. What would you say? What are the first like things you say to a couple coming to you?
2: Well, um, frankly, one of the first things I do these days is to acknowledge that a lot of people in the audience will will be dealing with the sadness of not having um, a marriage any longer. They'll be single okay. parents. Either the marriage is broken yeah. up or they've had the experience of having a child out of woodlock. And mm-hmm. so I'll say, look, um, if you are a single parent, there is yeah. research that shows that you still can raise kids who have good values and who practice these virtues and so on. Uh, it's a tougher job, it all falls on one set of shoulders. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and you have to find a, a kind of a buddy parent, somebody you can talk to, somebody you can share parenting experience. Buddy
1: parent, I love that idea, you
2: know, <laughs> your, buddy your, parent. Your success is your struggles, whether it's a phone call, whether it's an email, whether it's getting together for a cup of coffee, but it, there has to be some kind of contact with somebody who's a support system for you, even if it's just one of, of or the family.
1: same sex.
2: Uh, yeah, I, ideally that would be the case, I think. Certainly yeah. a mom to a mom and a dad to a dad. But yeah. but certainly reaching out to get support. So that acknowledges that that single parents can heroically do this job. It requires not being excessively harsh, not being too permissive. It requires a strong emotional bond. It requires monitoring children, it requires a lot of the things that go on good in tax families. But it requires an extra effort because it's all happening on uh, on the behalf, right. one parent's effort. Mm. Yeah. That, and then I speak to the marriage situation, and, okay. and I say, first of all, talk about the kids. It might seem, you know, to go without saying, but people get so busy in today's hectic world, world life that that they don't really sit down and say, "Okay, let's talk about the week. What have you observed with the children? Anything? You know, what, what's the good news? What's the bad news?"
1: Mm. Because different
2: yeah. parents will see different things. And my wife and I used to do this when the kids were under the roof. We would just sit down and kind of review the week and share what we had noticed. A second thing, hugely important, is to support each other. Uh, When one parent is scolding another child, then the other parent should never, in any way, undercut that parent even if they might think the parent isn't handling it as wisely as possible now mm. my wife never used to contradict me when i was say scolding one of our sons
1: and i never have either
2: <laughs> but if she promise. was silent if she was silent and then say in the kitchen while i was scolding him i could see the eye contact go to the go to uh, her And the kids would think, okay, mom's in my corner. She's not siding with dad. Oh, interesting. It's not enough to be silent because kids read that the way we don't want them to read it. Mm. Get bolder and more defiant, so on. The mom has to say something. Even if she thinks, you know, dad is probably coming home stressed from work. He's going over the top a little bit here. Um, The mom should say, listen to your father and then make her exit. Then later on, she can say, honey, you know, I think you had a tough day at work. And maybe overreacted to what, you know, Bill said or Johnny said or whatever. So the the consultation and the mutual correction and mutual, you know, yeah. that goes on privately.
0: So I'm just learning now something about my parents' parenting style that has bugged me up until this moment. Uh, up until this moment, I have disagreed with my dad and something he taught me since I was a very tiny child Because my mom would every now and then do... I'm super black and white. I am totally binary. There is right and wrong. There's no in-between. And it's caused lots of troubles for me. Every now and then, my mom would do something that I would feel is wrong. And I would go to bat and debate this with my dad. And every now and then, he would look at me in the eye and he'd go, Ryan, your mother is right even when she's wrong because she's your mother. And it made me so mad but now I understand what he was saying is her authority is absolute and I will not go against it because it will break her authority. If you allow me, if, you, if I allow you to win this argument, it undermines your mom and I am going to refuse to do that regardless of right or wrong. I now totally see that. I am so impressed that he would do that. And I love that you bring it up.
2: Well, you know, I think there's a, there's a real wisdom there because kids need to feel their parents are a team. And their Mm. parents support each other. And, you know, if we don't respect each other, should we be surprised that children do not respect us individually Mm -hmm. as parents? So they have to see that mutual respect, that mutual support. Now, parents can say, hey, parenting is the toughest job on the planet. You know, it doesn't come with a handbook. We all have to figure it out. Every kid is different. You know, you'll know this when you have your own children. And parents sometimes can make a mistake. And I want to give you a fair hearing. Now, you could go two ways with that. You could say, this is not the time for the fair hearing. You'll have your nice. day in court later tonight. You know, <sighs> but right now I need you to do X, Y, Z. And, yeah. and so a parent does not necessarily have to insist that they are infallible. They're willing to listen. They retain the right of final decision. But the research does show that if kids feel that they can have their day in court, they actually have more respect for the parent for that reason. It doesn't mean they get it at that moment. It doesn't mean they get to say, their mom and so on. Yeah. But, you know, so... So we can do both of these things. We can say, "Listen to your mother," and you know we'll talk later if you're if you're, you got an issue that needs more talking. But right now, your your mom needs you to obey, and mom needs you to mm-hmm. cooperate. You know, uh, do X, Y, Z.
0: And really, you're giving him a voice. You're saying, "Listen, I will listen to you if you have a good argument. Um, we'll respect that." And in the moment, you also have to be respectful and kind. And the things that we want to accomplish as a family.
2: Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And kids can actually learn and they should, that that obedience really is a virtue. And it should be done out of love. It's an act mm-hmm. of love for the child to do what the parent is directing or asking. It helps the family to function. It creates more harmony. If they give parents a hard time every, every time the parent asks them to do something, it creates a lot of mm-hmm. stress in the family. Everybody suffers. So yeah. So obedience is is a virtue. It's an act of love. It's a step toward wider generosity to others. Mm -hmm. And kids should understand that and parents should explain it.
0: I love it. I love that. You know, you talk about having a family meeting. And, uh, you know, we really didn't do that when I was growing up. I I like the concept and the idea. I'm not quite sure, what does the family meeting accomplish? I've got a six-year-old. I've got an 11-year-old. A lot of our families will then also have maybe like a mid-teen. So you've got a pretty wide age range in a family meeting what kind of things would you discuss what are like the you know maybe the six-year-old you know 11 and mid-teen year old kind of things that could be accomplished in one of the family meetings
2: well let me give you a very concrete example just to put some bullets, yeah. Yeah. some some flesh on the skeleton of that um i mean basically a family meeting is a meeting of the family um you can call it a family meeting you can call it a Family council—you can call it a family chat, as my colleagues in England like to call it—but <laughs> it's, but it's sitting down together. Uh, we always would start with a prayer. We would say, you know, dear Lord, you know, help us to love each other as you love us. We would then start with something we call it appreciation time. What's something that someone in the family has done for you this week that you appreciate? That would get a flow of good feelings, good affirmation going, and then we say, okay, let's, you know, let's talk about last week. You know, what what was tough? Well, getting you guys off to school was tough. You know, we ended up yelling at mm. you. Guys, you know, it was a bad start, it left a bad feeling. Or bedtime was a battle. You know, we'd like to be able to do that without so much hassle. Or, you know, the whole screens issue. We made some agreements about screen use, and you guys are not honoring those. And we got to yeah. talk about, you know, what's a fair consequence if you don't keep the deal on the use of screens. You know, we, we you know, we could just take them away, but we really like to work out a solution that you're going to abide by and. and mm consequences that are really going to motivate you because kids actually if you impose a consequence i think it's a very important point in discipline um kids can get just very steely they can say okay give me your best shot i don't care you know do whatever you want Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a, a sort of battle of wills and they can end up winning that war of wills by just taking your toughest shot and there's no internal change their attitude hasn't shifted you know they're going to be more cooperative in the future so the best way to handle consequences is to say, look, you, you know, we agreed on X. You know, you were going to lock your bike when you took it to the park. You know, you, we wrote that out as an agreement. Bikes are being stolen in our community. And two times in a row now, you know, when I've been there to watch you play, the bike's been against the bleachers unlocked. So, look, we, you know, we had an agreement. You haven't kept your promise on this. We need to have a consequence that's going to motivate you to take it seriously. What do you think is a fair consequence for not keeping right. Right, right. And kids are their own judge and jury, and often mm-hmm. they'll come up with something tougher than you might have said. Oh, I lose my bike for three days, four days, whatever. And and they see that as the logical consequence of what they did, rather than as something you imposed upon them because you have the power in the relationship. If we impose the consequence, often they play the victim role, feel sorry for themselves, go around with drooping shoulders. Parents in face with that often, you know, back up and think, well, maybe I was too harsh and okay, you can have your bike back. And, and, and they undercut their own authority. So um, so the consequences thing is, is, a, is a piece of it. And, you, and part of that family meeting might be saying, you know, we've talked about the screens issue before, but I think we need some consequences now. We want it mm-hmm. to really work, so let's talk about what's really going to motivate you, consequences that would be fair if you if you abuse the privilege. And the big concept, of course, overarching any kind of media in the home is that the use of the media in the family is a privilege, not a right. Kids can think it's a, it's a right for them to yeah, have yeah. the technology and be used as they wish. And it's not. It's it's a privilege. The parents are granting it and, and it has to be exercised with the permission uh, and, and approval of the parents. Mm, I but love that. that is this, you know, a, like, here's, here's an actual one. It's a short one uh, and it illustrates that a meeting can be fairly short. And the mom says, I'd like to see if we can work out something that we all think is fair regarding TV and dinner. I, for one, do not like the TV on while we're eating dinner. And unfortunately, mm. Unfortunately, the television is on, and more than half of families during dinner time. And of course, that shuts down conversation. So Billy, age eight, says, well, Mom, dinner is usually ready during our favorite TV show. Why can't we eat sooner? And the dad says, well, I don't get home from work till 5.30, so we really can't eat any sooner. How about we just turn off the TV while we're eating? Then Jenny, age six, pipes in, but then we'll miss our favorite show. I have an idea. And interestingly, even though you can, you know, save shows and so on with the technology kids still like to watch it when it airs for the first time that's still the norm but jenny says all right we'll miss our favorite show i have an idea we can put the tv on the table then we could all watch and eat without moving (laughs) of course the mom doesn't go for that she says i don't want the tv i don't want the tv on at all while we're eating i'd like for us to talk to each other look maybe i could plan dinner for right after your show right after your show but then i'll be tied up later in the kitchen dad says well how about if we all help with cleanup and the mom says, "That sounds great to me. I'll have dinner later if you all help with the dishes. Fair
1: enough,
2: he mm-hmm. agrees. so there's there's a problem that got solved quickly, concisely, and the mom is happy that there's going to be group cleanup. I think you know families would do well to have the notion that if you know if mom's doing the cooking, the guys do the cleanup, or the rest of the people who who enjoy the dinner take over the responsibility for kitchen cleanup. Yeah. But that's that's an example of how a family puts their heads together. It's sort of faith in the power of pooled intelligence. You're using the,
1: yeah.
2: the social capital of the family and saying, look, you know, we're a family. If there's a problem, we've got a problem. How can we working together solve it? It taps into yes. that we mindset. And it really breaks down at what I think is a bad mindset. And namely that if there's a problem, the parents have to figure out how to solve it. And the kids are basically off the hook. They could just create the problem and make a contribution to solve it. Yeah, they, feel they can fight endlessly with their brothers and sisters and continually disrupt the family peace, and the parents somehow have to figure out how to settle the squabbles and you know prevent totally. them. But there should be the notion that that the responsibility of making a happy family is a shared responsibility. It's an yeah. authentic responsibility. It's not something that's you know phony. It's real. You so know, what would
1: you say to create ownership for everybody? Like so, say a family doesn't have the kids, maybe are silent or quieter. Uh, been pushed to the side, how would you create an environment for ownership for everyone to start having that?
2: Well, that's an excellent question, because my counsel to parents who are doing this for the first time is to lay the groundwork. Don't just jump right in. That can mean a disaster, really, because you haven't created an understanding of what this is all about. Your kids have not experienced it. Most, right. most parents didn't experience it growing up. Mm-hmm. It's actually, I think, the most single most underused uh, family parenting strategy and so you need to lay the groundwork. You would go to people individually and say, "Look, you know, we've had a problem. In the previous week there's been bad atmosphere, a lot of yelling, you know, you kids have been fighting, you know, we've lost our tempers and we'd like next week to be a better one." Sure. But we want to figure that out together. So we'd like to sit down, figure out where things went off the rails last week, mm-hmm. then make some positive proposals for how to keep, you know, to keep things on an even keel next week and and even if some problems occur, you know, we'll have a framework for dealing with it. Yeah. And and it's not about blaming. You have to make that very clear. It's about positive problem solving. You know, it's about a cooperative effort. So there's no finger pointing, no saying, well, you know, you did this and you did that. It's well, you know. How do we how do we make things better? And then you structure it and say everybody will get a chance to turn the talk at a time to talk. It's not going to be lecture time. A lot of parents. If they don't think about how to facilitate this, they can sort of turn it into lecture time. and it's a yeah, big-
0: yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. Definitely do some planning ahead of time so you're yeah. not stuck going, oh, what are we going to do? Oh, I just better yeah. just talk to you for a long time. Yeah.
2: In fact, you know, kids are often happily surprised that it's not lecture time if you do it mm. right. We used to just go around the table and I would say, all right, let's just go around, okay – um, let's talk about getting off to school. What happened this sure, week? Sure, I was that, that tough. And Mark, what's your point of view? Mark could, at that point, say, he "Was thirteen. You know, he was five years uh, older than his little brother." Mm-hmm. And so Mark would say, "Well, I think you know the problem was X, Y, Z. And then Matthew, all right, what's your point of view on it? And then Matthew would give his mom, uh, "How do you see it?" And then I would say mine. And then I'd actually just be writing down a single line on a pad of paper, and I'd say, "Okay, you know, Mark, Mark's feelings are these. You know, Matthew thinks. You know, mom's view on it. Here's my take." All right, we should, you know, express our feeling about what the problem was, why it happened maybe, all right, how do we solve it going forward? Uh, yeah. What what are some ideas for next? I'll
0: tell you week? what I I like about it doctor. It's in one way it it allows you to postpone uh kind of some heated subjects to where it's a more calm time. Like, hey, you know, we've kind of had some issues with getting ready for school in the morning, you know, we all know it, but you don't have to deal with it right then and there. It's not that event based. Something happened, we have to fix it right this moment.
2: Yeah, um, and that's that's uh, Ryan. You put your finger on. I think a very important thing: reactive pairing is often our worst parenting. You know? Yeah, yeah. We're in a stressful yes. situation. We're running right. late. You know, yep. the kids are maybe on the verge of you know whatever meltdowns are, and they've been squabbling, and so we're dealing reactively.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: our upper brains are typically not in charge. You know, the 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 lower brains are taking over, and you know, and stress is ruling ruling the roost. Yep. So. Well, we're proactive, as you afraid that we can sit down, you know, gather ourselves together, say a prayer, ask for wisdom, and then we're calling on our best selves. You yeah. know, help, we're helping, in a sense, creating a sports structure that brings forth our best and not our worst. And, and, and part of the challenge of living a life of character is really figuring out, mm-hmm. you know, how do you how do you support your the best version of yourself so that... You know, you know what your triggers are. How do you anticipate those? How do you try to create situations where you're not going to uh, be triggered to lose your cool and blow your sack and all the rest? Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. in the family meeting, is, is that sort of support structure. Now, you also need to, I think, do some things even prior to having a family meeting that helps to create the foundation like a family mission statement. This is sort of an initial family meeting where you sit down and say, you know, what kind of a family do we want to be? What are the ways of acting toward each other? What are the virtues that we care most about? And, you know, respect would be one of them. Kindness would be one of them. Uh, our faith would be one of them. Um, you know, forgiveness, um, even a sense right. of humor, right. or, you know, uh, learning mm-hmm. from our mistakes, um, you know, moving on and, and after we've made a mistake, having an attitude of gratitude. Gratitude is a, is a virtue that needs to be cultivated in family hey. life.
0: You know what, Doctor? We've got a great question. Um, Elena from California is talking about something that uh, deals with gratitude. And I'm seeing it coming up in kids' TV shows where uh, the kid that causes the most drama, you know, yeah. what they're saying is this is the bad example, and yet the entire program focuses on the person doing the bad thing, and then you get kids turning into these little tiny drama queens and drama kings. But one of the questions we got, Elena brings it up, is... Uh, The disappointment when another kid gets either, you know, a part in a play or uh, a job they wanted or an outfit or something that they got that the child didn't. Um, I remember we had uh, someone write in. They went and saw uh, a presentation and the presentation tickets weren't that expensive, but every souvenir was just Outrageously expensive, and they were like, we couldn't afford it. But so many kids have these light-up, spinny, glow things. My kid cried a quarter of the time we were at this presentation because they didn't get a toy, and we just didn't have the money. How how can you start to foster? Of you can be sad about something, but
1: still be kind
0: because you don't have, you know, this (laughs) gratitude of I get to be at this thing, and even though I'd like a spinny, light-up toy. I'm still going to have a good time, even though I have some. I don't. I didn't get what I. You know. How do you teach that? It's so difficult these days. It just feels like there's just this innate. Oh no, I need everything all the time, and if I don't, I'm gonna flip out.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you can someone
0: else's kids, not my
2: kids. (laughs) You can sympathetically acknowledge that it's natural to make comparisons and a want what the other person has. That's human nature. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it's it's a part of human nature that can doom us to perpetual unhappiness because somebody else will always have more or have it better or have it easier, um, They'll, you know, inevitably. And adults fall into the same trap. Mm. Yes. You know, you get a good job and then you look at the guy in the next office, he's got a better job. Uh, you're happy with your salary and you see, holy moly, somebody else is making more than I am. Mm. And so if you, so we would, we would talked in a way a parent really has to be a good psychologist. You <laughs> know, help kids understand, look, you know, there are ways to help yourself be happy and, mm. and, and at peace in life and, and, and so on. And there are ways that you can make sure you're going to be unhappy. And comparisons is one of them. So we had as a family policy, no comparisons. You know, you don't compare yourself to your older brother. How come he gets to have a friend stay over and I don't? Well, mm. I mean, you could say he's 14 and you're four. That's one reason.
0: Right, you know? right. Yeah. But, How do you enforce that, though? No comparisons. How do you enforce that? When they start but, to do it, you just go, we're not listening to this?
2: Well, you. First of all, you, you, you. This is where a family meeting can be helpful. Family meetings aren't just about necessarily working out an agreement for next week about bedtime or getting off to school. Mm-hmm. They can be t- to try to teach an insight, like the, how comparisons make you unhappy, and we'd like to have mm-hmm. a family slogan or policy that says no comparisons. And and you can say the next question. All right, how do we? You know, how do we try to really make this work so that oh. we we really do it? And maybe. Maybe you do counting and charting where every time somebody makes a comparison, you know they make a mark on the fridge and and you chart it for the for the week and you see if you can drop it down and if you can keep it low or make it decline, then you have a family celebration. You go out to McDonald's at the nice. end of the week. And, yep. you know, so it becomes sort of a family project. Mm-hmm. Counting and charting is a great tool for mm-hmm. things like this. You know, when you've got a bad habit in place, constant comparisons or whatever, constant complaints. And you say, these are these have negative consequences in family life. You know, you can see the evidence of that. But how do we really reduce the behavior? Well, if it's a bad habit, we've got to have a strategy. And actually counting the frequency of something and then plotting that on a simple graph is a very powerful way of seeing progress you can make the gaps between five times a day and four times big enough so that one one gain looks like real yes. real progress but it it it's it's an insight that children will gradually I think come to understand that mm-hmm. the happiness is wanting what you have not having what you want exactly. it's appreciating what you have yep. the blessings you have in life not not having all the things you don't have because that's that's an endless Black hole, you know. Yeah. yeah. You talk about
1: action. like affirming positive behavior more than trying to correct the negative behavior. Can you tease that out for us a little bit?
2: Well, you know, both are needed. Like, you know, if you want to reduce complaints, you have to identify w- what a complaint is. A complaint can be just rolling your eyes or it can be saying something negative. Uh, and we want to reduce that because that specific behavior is a problem. Mm-hmm. So correction is important. Um, but, but then you want to affirm. The positive things, for example, and use the language of kindness to do that. You know, that was a very kind thing of you to do. Thanks for being a generous person and sharing your Skittles with your with your little sister. Thanks for helping with the dishes. Well, am I even asking? That meant a lot to me tonight.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, really
2: looking for every opportunity and using the language of virtue, including the language of kindness, to do that. And and, and when kids slip, you still try to find an opportunity for an affirmation. Let's say they say mm-hmm. something yeah. disrespectful or rude to their sibling you you gently ask for a redo you know can you say that in a kinder way
0: yeah redo re- we like yeah. redos.
2: that's in my notes the <laughs> yeah. redo. totally yeah. we always can, do can redus. you rephrase can you rephrase that more respectfully mm-hmm. and then when they do you say thank you for saying that in a respectful yeah way. thank you for putting that more kindly i definitely so, want to so-
0: reiterate that for all the parents out there i yeah, think a lot of the rebels, rebels are the overachievers and so uh we tend to not withhold praise but not necessarily give it generously enough. And so when you do ask for a redo, hey, can you say that more respectfully? Oh, sorry. Uh, Mom, Could I please have da-da-da? Hey, thank you. When, you. when you respond with that upbeat tone and the thank you, it absolutely will reaffirm that. It will encourage that positive behavior in, in such a good way. Doctor, can I ask you about a controversial subject? Sure, sure. Um, We had someone write in and ask about this. Uh, it has to do with the stern warning. And I'll just give you the example. Uh, the mom wrote in and said, you know, they were on a play date and they have young children. And one child was a little bit more aggressive and ended up it escalated to where that child bit another child a couple times. And everybody saw that it was a problem, even the child's mom. But the way she was speaking to him was you know, hey, we don't bite and we need to be kind to people and people don't like it when we do things like that. And that child doesn't understand you know the English language very well at that point. It it feels like there's a contradictory message being given. You know, you have this very sweet tone and don't bite. So when is the stern warning appropriate? What does that sound like and Is it damaging to children? You know, you can't yell at children. You can't scold them like that. It'll hurt them. You know, what's a stern warning? Will it damage a child?
2: Well, first of all, kids uh, are not glass. They're not going to shatter if there's a a stern warning. I think many parents have greatly overestimated the fragility of children. Now, some kids are fragile because of trauma and, and abuse and so on. But if we're talking about the average child, kids can certainly handle... Uh, a stern correction. Now, some kids are are going to be more impacted by a stern correction. They'll dissolve immediately into tears, girls more often than boys. Um, Some will be, you know, not as impacted and that boys, again, tend to be in that category. So uh, you don't always get necessarily the same visible response, but you do want children to know that the importance of what has happened to you. Now, how do we convey importance? Well, when we write the English language, for example, we find ways of doing that. We put things in italics. We put them in bold. We put them in full caps. And it's the same thing with oral speech. You know, Mm -hmm. full caps in oral speech are needed sometimes. The example I like to use, which sort of parallels the biting thing, comes from a study of toddlers. Uh, These were children between one and a half and two and a half. And this is a study that observed how they would respond to another child in distress on the playground. And the responses vary considerably. Some children simply looked at the crying child who had fallen off the slide and mm-hmm. did nothing. Others walked away, and, and again, sort of indifferently. Some children were irritated by the crying child and scolded them. Some even hit them to get them to stop crying. And But a third of the toddlers, oh. and, these, and these were children just one and a half to two and a half. A third were compassionate interveners. They tried to comfort the crying child. They went to get an adult. They tried to distract them with something that would help the crying subside. Mm-hmm. So they wonder, so worry, what what were the mothers like of these children who were the compassionate interveners?
1: Yeah.
2: They found out that there were a couple of things that characterized the moms. First of all, they were very nurturing. They had a strong, positive relationship, a lot of warmth, a lot of love. That's always the basis. If you, you know, that's, that's what gives you the leverage in any kind of discipline or teaching. You have to have that strong connection which is why connective rituals are so important time together and so on but secondly when their their own child was guilty of hurting another child they dealt with it in 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 a way that combined two things first of all very clear teaching making the child aware of how their behavior had affected the other person and there's a lot of research showing that that's important but secondly yeah.
0: but you have was, that in the book that was really interesting yeah, yeah, you know yeah. you have that written out like um uh, I remember it was like you hit so and so. Yeah, that hurts. We don't hurt people. You know, it was a really yeah. clear. I thought it was so right. brilliant how clear it was, and it, it gave me that illustration. Like, oh, I understand these. It was the communication. I, it was really important. I really loved it. Yeah, that.
2: And, and actually, it was a hair pulling incident because one of these yeah, moms oh yeah, who had a compassionate child on the playground earlier, previously, her child, her little girl, had pulled another little girl's hair. And the mother confronted her child and said, you know, you hurt Amy. So there's a clear statement about the consequence. Secondly, pulling hair hurts, an instructive generalization. And finally, never, there's the full caps, pull hair, Mm -hmm. a small moral absolute. So the three things, clear teaching conveyed with feeling. Mm -hmm. And the same sort of thing has been true for, for adolescent kids. Parents take seriously when they find out their child has cheated at school, been sure. a bully in the playground, or yes. been a passive observer of bullying. A, you know, they sit down and they express their deep disappointment. They express their indignation. Mm-hmm. They're not yelling and screaming at their kids saying, you're a rotten kid, I'm terribly disappointed, and, you know. You know yeah. like, right, right, right.
1: Doctor, can I ask you a question? What if it's yeah. like they stumbled upon pornography or there is something more of a more delicate situation with the t- with an adolescent?
2: Well, again, there, you know, you know, you want always to take into account the circumstances and try to enter in empathically. And the example, a kid mm-hmm. who has got pornography come up on the screen. Now, kids have different reactions. You know, a a yes. boy might be a boy might be tempted in a way that a girl is, and so on. Mm-hmm. But but many kids these days will have it shoved in their face by somebody at yep. school, of or you know, or, mm-hmm. or they'll log onto it accidentally or whatever. Yeah. And so, you know, you wouldn't want to land on them for something like that like a ton of bricks because you understand even if they gave in to the temptation you would want to acknowledge that something like that is very powerful. Mm -hmm. Right. It
1: can can take
2: over the brain. It can take over the whole body in Mm -hmm. a a matter of a split second and so you understand what happened but you want to prepare them for how to deal with that in the future. And I've mentioned um, in talks to parents of an excellent book. This is called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures which has a five step plan.
0: Do we have that? We do.
2: I just got it. It was just given to me. Woohoo! And it's, you know, it's got very simple steps. You know, here you go. Close close my eyes immediately. Always <laughs> tell a trusted adult. Name it when I see it. This is pornography. Uh, distract myself and order my thinking brain to be the boss. And then you actually practice mm-hmm. this with kids. You rehearse it in a make-believe situation until it's part of the wiring. And so – We will get a
0: link get- to this for the listeners listening hey, right you, now. You know, can I just stop for a second? Yeah. Sure, sure. One, I'm so glad for the resource. Mm-hmm. We will absolutely offer it to all the people listening. And two, can I just tell you how sad I am that we have to have that resource and we do have to have, I just, I stumbled across pornography the other day on accident at work. I didn't have our circle installed at work and it popped up and I I just, it's, it makes me sad that we have to prepare children for that and yet we do. That's Mm -hmm. just an important, it's an important part of parenting it's one of the hard ones, and it's okay for you to grieve that yes. when you're
2: not in front of your kids.
1: And it's okay to not know what to do and to ask friends for
0: help.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely, definitely. Yeah, and parents, th- this is the sort of thing that parents need to talk to each other about. Unfortunately, yeah. many parents fall silent in the face of this kind of problem. Yes, sir. They, they're not proactive. They're not even sure how to react when, mm. when it happens. Exactly. And so they're out of law. So we do need to support each other. We need to know the resources. There's a website ProtectYoungMinds.org by the author of this book, um, Good Pictures, Bad Pictures, and that's a terrific resource for keeping up with the new challenges that come out all the time, the stuff that pops up at school, um, mm-hmm. etc. So, you know, so it is. We do. We are bringing our children up in a world that is much tougher to grow up in and much tougher to parent in. Yeah, it's a it much is. toxic culture that we grew up in, that I grew up in, and you grew up in. It's it, and and it changes as we speak. Yes. That's fortunate reality, which is you know, a, a, another reason why parents need to close ranks, support each other. Um, it's almost become too too hard to tackle alone. And many parents have felt, I think, overmatched by a, an increasingly powerful culture, mm. overmatched by it. They feel that the culture is really running things now, Yeah, yeah. And they can facilitate the problem by putting... Some, a piece of technology in their nine-year-old's hands that allows the kid to access the universe of evils. Mm-hmm. You know, so so we can uh, cooperate with that toxic culture in ways that are destructive. But even if you're trying to do a good job, sometimes you can just feel discouraged that that the culture is just god <laughs> so toxic, and so powerful mm. in these ways. And certainly a pornographic culture is a huge part of the challenge, which has been vastly ignored by you know, by much of society.
0: Yes, it has. Not us. We've talked about it a ton on our broadcast. We've got some more listener questions which I'm excited about. Jason on Facebook, he asked, I know we need to set an example for our kids um, and it feels like they're so naturally selfish. We're constantly combating the tendency with comments like, stop being mean to your brother. Why does everything have to be a fight? After a while, it becomes very unpleasant atmosphere. How do we turn it around and or proactively avoid this. I think we're going to go back to the family meeting on this one, but I want to hear from you too.
2: Yeah, well, the fa- the, of course it starts, I think, with some with that prior step of a family mission statement. And most parents never do this with their kids. They say, what kind of family do we want to be? What's really important? And to, to lay that out in a set of statements, in the mm-hmm. we voice, then post it in the kitchen, review it at the start of the week, review it um, when a problem occurs. It becomes your, your framework. And, and so then we then you suggest you, that
1: here at Rebel Parenting, yeah. you do that with your marriage first. Yeah, <laughs> and then absolutely. go to right, the family. Right, right,
2: it, it always begins there. An excellent point, Laura, an excellent point. you got to start making sure that the parents are on the same page. Mm. And in the beginning, this can seem, you know, especially if, if your kids are a little bit older, well, what is this, you know? Would you go to a talk or read a book? Or You know, this is kind of corny. Do, we, do we, Is this lame? Do we have to do this? And you say, well, look, you know, um, a lot of parents are finding that, it's a tough world to grow up in, and if you're going to be a strong family, you have to take deliberate steps to make sure you are a strong family. Mm-hmm. And having a sense of mission. Companies that succeed have a mission statement. Yep, nonprofits yep. succeed have a mission statement. And so families need, need this kind of where they're not just going along for the ride and being swept along by cultural change. They're saying, we want to take charge of our lives. We want to have a vision. We want to lay down the things we all believe in mm-hmm. and then help each other fulfill that. And then what makes the failing mission statement more than words on the wall is referring to it continually, saying, what are we forgetting? You know, do, you know mm-hmm. and, and also creating bring, like a you know, rhythm of it. Yeah. Yeah. And then having it as a reference point, we have a failing meeting. Okay, let's take a look at the failing meeting at the failing mission statement. Where do we do pretty well this week? Where do we need to work on next week? And and so that that becomes a living document that starts to take root in the conscience and character of all mm-hmm. the family members. You know, how can we each hold ourselves accountable to that? And then, so then you're being proactive. And then, you know, when kids are, you know, mean, you say, well, this this is something we need to talk about as well. It's a great topic for a family meeting because disputes will happen. You can have the best parenting strategies in the world, you're still going to deal with human nature. Kids will be impatient with each other, sticky face, you know. They want to tease each other. They enjoy provoking each other. You know, yeah. that's all That's all the dark side of human nature. Mm-hmm. So you say, okay, um, you know, that can really cause a lot of stress in the family and make us all miserable and so on. How do we try to m- move the needle in a positive direction? One way is to talk about how, do we, how are we going to solve the conflicts that inevitably arise? I strongly recommend every family have a dedicated space for conflict resolution and then train the kids in the four or five steps. When you go there, you've got to Th- something happening between your brother and sister, okay, off to the peace table, off to the talk-it-out corner, off to the you know, to the solution circle, whatever you want to call it. And there are the you know, the steps. In the beginning, you'll have to coach them, stand behind them, mm-hmm. walk, give them the practice yeah. until the words are in their hearts. And then, then after a while, and parents will say this, they become amazed at how kids can work out their own conflicts.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, what would you suggest to the family that's already living in complete conflict out there? Can they just... Like, I just want to encourage you. If you are out there and your family is in conflict, you can. Because you know that family that's like, wait, what? What? This is never going to happen. But like, I can see it. Conflict resolution. What if we just focused on that for one year?
0: And there's the truth too. When you start, it will go bad most of the time. Most of the time it will fight. And you just have to do it. You've You've got to talk with your spouse and just be like, hey, listen, we're going to roll with these punches because the kids are going to want it. They're going to say it's lame. They're going to fight with each other. And let's just keep going because it's the it's a good thing to do. And then one thing I would add to it, I got this from Jordan Peterson. The fewest amount of rules that can keep the greatest amount of peace will allow you and your spouse to stay on the same page. I tend to be a micromanager and I want to make a rule for everything in life.
1: And I tend to make no
0: rules. And so <laughs> we get off the page really easily. And so general principles are better than... You know, every aspect of our life has a rule and a consequence because it's just overwhelming. It overwhelms kids to have so much on top of them. And so it's just kind of pulling it back to, are we being kind? Are we being grateful? Are we being, you know, generous to our siblings? Things like that. Are we that.
1: solving the conflict?
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: And, you know, you can you can have a family mission statement that might contain five kinds of things that are really important you know, whether it's trusting in God, um, mm. having an attitude of gratitude, uh, mm. learning from mistakes, you know, you have you have maybe five big ones. But then you work on one particular thing for a couple of weeks, like the conflict. We solve our conflicts by listening to the other person and working out something that's fair. There there would be one statement. All right, we're gonna work on that for the next month. Really work on it. Yeah. And, that and then great. the other thing philosophically and psychologically, I think it's very important to understand with these things is that I mean, Aristotle said, virtues are not mere thoughts. They are habits that we develop by performing virtuous actions. Mm -hmm. So it's the idea that if you want to be good, you have to do good. It's practice, practice, practice. I like it. Because very often as parents, we think somehow that the job of character development will be taken care of by words alone. How many times do I have to tell you X, (laughs) Y, Z? You know, telling doesn't necessarily produce the habit it doesn't it
1: doesn't look at your it's own part. life
2: look. right right we could all say well this year i want to exercise more but you know if you don't figure out an exercise program you know you're going to go the whole year and not have mm-hmm. exercise anymore. Exactly. so so it's it's really about habit formation. now that means patience on our part as parents yep. uh, providing the support structures for doing the practice but also realizing it's not going to be an overnight change—it's going to be gradual progress, just as it is with us as adults. And you want to keep encouraging the practice, and, and and so on. So, it's it's just not words that's required. It's and the same thing if you're teaching a sport. We all knew this intuitively. Yeah. If you teach a sport, you got to be a coach. All right, here's how to hold the bat. Mm-hmm. Here's how to level your swing. Here's mm-hmm. how to keep your eye on the ball. Here's how to drop your shoulder or not. Uh, here's how to position your feet. Okay, now practice it 100 times. You know, you understand you can't give the kid a lecture on hitting a ball and have it work. That's Same right. thing. Same thing with character. Only the character stuff is even harder to master because emotions are involved.
0: Mm. Man, I'm so glad we called you. I got one last one. Uh, this is a listener question. It talks about how do you curb the impulsive um, anger Uh, we get this every now and then, you know, you've got, it's usually a boy who it's just the first reaction is it's, you know, zero to 10 and
1: kind of destructive.
0: (laughs) Oftentimes it comes with either hitting or pinching or, you know, yelling something. How do you one curb that and then teach a kid, especially the younger ones, how to initiate the calm response. You know, when you don't get your way, when it's just, you know, cause the little boys, when they start getting the testosterone and just like, er, you know, it's temperamentally, some can be just generally more aggressive and you don't want to tell them that they're, they're bad for being that just how to control it maybe.
2: Mm. Yeah. And this is where a little psychology helps. I mean, when I do marriage counseling, I've tried to help uh, wives understand that men have a hormone spike very quickly. You get an argument, <laughs> they and do? the man, you know, <laughs> if just you just helped
1: see, my marriage.
2: If the man if the man was, you know, had a transparent chest, you saw the red red line rising like in a thermometer, you know, you'd realize, okay, I'm I'm part of the problem here because I'm creating the I'm helping to create the hormone spike. That's why guys will walk out of the house. They need to get control of that hormone spike. So it's the same thing with a boy. Hey, He's man. getting the hormone spike. Talk to him about how guys are built. They got yep. the query, you know, the that thing just starts going right up the thermometer. Mm-hmm. And they have to deal with that in a way that's constructive, and a lot of guys don't. We can't mm. pick up the newspaper now without reading about some man or some teenage boy who has dealt with his anger in a terribly destructive, you know, way. Yep. Mm-hmm. So then it becomes a matter of understanding yourself. Uh, secondly, understanding the triggers or what triggers those hormone spikes, let's mm-hmm. identify them, and and then knowing how to react to the triggers. You got to you got to have a strategy that you practice for reacting to the trigger. And it might be, you know, you go and, you know, and, and, and squeeze, um, a, a, a ball. ball. Yeah, or go on a bike a ride. Right. Or, you, or you get on the exercise bike yeah. and you pedal crazy. Or you count to a hundred. Ten doesn't work typically. Blow or you up a balloon. A- Someone told
1: me
2: that. Blow up a balloon. Blow up a balloon. Um, <laughs> some kids like to listen to music. Some kids yes. sit by the fish tank and watch the fish swim, you know, um, or some kids find it helpful to go talk to another person saying, you know, mom, I'm starting to lose it with uh, you know Jennifer, she's mm-hmm. pushing my buttons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the other side of the coin is, in family dynamics, is we had a family meeting once with the grandchildren. The parents had gone away. We had the grandchildren for an overnight. And things, you know, I mean, you might think that we wouldn't have had any problems, but we had a ton of them. <laughs> and it was very, very quick to see what the problem was. The kids all knew how to push each other's buttons. Now this you know, six children in the family, and they all know what buttons to push. Yep and they enjoy pushing the other kids buttons and we so we had a family meeting about button pushing what the buttons were why it's a problem to push them and resolutions about not and we also you know weighed in with a little if you want to you know go to um to basket robins tomorrow night for the ice cream treat you know yeah, yeah. we we need to make progress on this button pushing so awesome. so you work both sides of the street who's provoking the kid to lose the anger um, I mean, a mom recently said, you know, um, I came in from fixing dinner to find my four year old son with a kitchen knife going after his eight year old brother because he felt excluded from the tower building that was going on between the brother, the eight year old brother and the nine year old sister and the four year old having felt excluded went and got himself a big fat knife in the kitchen and was heading for his eight-year-old brother with a mother that was one of our listeners for sure
1: <laughs> definitely a rebel. rebel parents
2: yeah i poor, have five older said, brothers
1: the that the sounds said, normal
2: <laughs> the mother said what do i do you know well there needs to be a lot of identifying the triggers helping yeah. the kids make sure the four-year-old feels included yeah. helps the four-year-old practice you know recognizing his trigger and then doing somebody else besides heading for the knife
0: Totally, totally. Yeah. awesome Man, Doctor, this is a great broadcast. I appreciate it so much. The book is called How to Raise Kind Kids, Dr. Thomas Lacona. We appreciate it so much. Thanks for being on the broadcast today.
2: Thank you. Hey, I appreciate the invitation. God bless your work.
0: Rebels, I hope you enjoyed that today. I, re- I like Thomas Lacona. He was cool. Yeah. You know what? He was the first person that called us ahead of time to make sure everything was working, that it would mm-hmm. look right, that it sounded okay. This guy is prepared. You can tell when you read the book. Yeah. It is Full of practicality. I'm telling you, if you're anything like me, if you're like, hey, I need help right now. Mm-hmm. This book. I mean, you can just be like, oh, I need, uh, oh, here's a good list. You know, identity-based habits that define who we are. I literally just did this. <laughs> um, man, it's a good book. It really, really is. Ten Ways to Teach and Practice Gratitude. It's chapter 12. Awesome. The entire book is going to be full of things you can do with your kids at all ages, Right now, what do you think? Sounds Good stuff. Great. Good stuff. Thank you so much, Rebels. Uh, any donations you make to Rebel Parenting is tax-free. You can do that at rebelparenting.org. Click the donate tab. Uh, summer is lean, so we could totally use that. We've got some big projects coming. Man, it is going to be a great summer. God bless. We love you. See you soon.